in verse 6, beginning at verse 1. I'm reading from the, uh, the New King James Version this morning. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open stage. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the last verse here that we're that we just read, that you do not become sluggish. Sluggish. The uh, title of the message this morning is the snare of sluggishness. And uh it uses the term sluggish here in the New King James. I believe the King James says slothful. Uh, the same word is translated dull of hearing in Hebrews 5:11. We have become dull of hearing, which would be a similar problem, uh, but affecting the hearing there, affecting all of life uh, with this general. And it says becoming sluggish, like they are losing ground from a former position of, uh, of diligence, that there has been uh, a loss of fervor, a loss of enthusiasm, a loss of interest. They've lost some steam in their Christian life. I have a mower sitting close to the back door of our house. It was mowing fine the other day and then parked there. And when I went out to uh, start it up to move it to the back of the house and put it away, it wouldn't start. It was just a little grunt or two, and 
outside several times, and it is still parked there. It has lost power some way, battery dead or something. But uh, it, it's sluggish. There's, it's not going. And it was doing fine earlier. Now, I want to look at this, um, this word and this problem a little more later. But first, uh, let's go to the beginning of the passage and get the background to the cautionary words. And so he begins this chapter, the writer, I kind of think it's Paul. There's debate about it. Um, but anyway, he lays out, the writer lays out his intention and his purpose in writing in those first several verses that he intends to take us beyond the basics, not laying again the elementary foundations and so on. He mentions of repentance and faith and various doctrines and so on. And he says, this we will do if, if God permits. That um, we want to get beyond the basics. We, we need to grow. We need to, to go further from where we are. And then in verse 4, we want to think about these couple of verses here. Uh, a very awful and sobering Warning begins with verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now this falling away, if they fall away in uh, verse 6, this is not a stumble that uh, somebody yielded to temptation and backslid into sin and even got snared in the sin and is struggling trying to get out of it. It's not that. It's not a carelessness about following Jesus. Uh, it's not like Peter who denied Jesus, but then when the cock, when the rooster crowed, he was quickly remorseful and repentant. This is a different fall. This is a great fall. It's falling all the way from knowing Christ, uh, from being genuinely converted a genuine Christian who is experiencing or has experienced the uh, Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit in his heart and life, and having the joy of the Lord, the joy of salvation, and living in victory, and all of those things, has fallen from that to the point that now he is an enemy of Christ. And he is hostile to Christ and godliness, to God's holy standards, and he, he is so opposed that if he were back in Jesus' day, and, and uh, on the day of the trial before Pilate, that he would likely be part of a mob crying out, crucify him, 
crucified him. So now he has discarded Christ and discarded the salvation and deliverance that he offers, the things of God. And he, he is an enemy uh, of Christ to the same degree that he was a devoted follower in the beginning. Now Paul, Saul he was, uh, he was an enemy of Christ. We know how he despised the way and the followers of the way and how he persecuted them and, and uh, arrested them and hauled them off to prison and torture and even to be killed. But that was before he was converted. He hadn't been converted, so he does not fit in this category. And we know he was, he was soundly converted by the Christ that he was was hosted and an enemy of. But this is someone who had been genuinely converted and then began a descent down and down and spiraling down until he finally was in this position of this awful apostasy, an enemy of Christ. Uh, in Second Peter, uh, verse chapter two and verse twenty, and a couple of verses there, it appears to be talking about the same kind of apostasy, about people that have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They knew Him. They knew deliverance. They were Christians, genuinely converted, but they again became entangled and overcome, and they fell and fell, and the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It would have been better for them to have to not have known the way of righteousness, is the way Peter phrased his warning. Now, this is not, I don't believe that this is the unpardonable sin. It may be uh, very close. It may not be many steps from this kind of apostasy to the unpardonable sin. Uh, There's no risk, there's no question that this person is at very high risk, uh, spiritually. There, there is a uh, the understanding that I have of this of this uh, these verses is uh, that as long as this person is in the faith of resistance against God, that it is impossible for him to repent. He's not in a place where he can repent. The American Standard Version has uh, this alternate reading in the margin here, it says, it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance the while they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open state. So, uh, it's, it's uh, by this interpretation, it is the, uh, as long as the apostate one 
has this attitude and, and this frame of mind, he uh, cannot repent. And he may be beyond man's persuasion, but God's Spirit can break very hard people, and uh, God's Spirit can call, and God's mercy is great. Romans 11 describes branches being broken off of the vine and the possibility of them being grafted back uh, if they abide not still in unbelief. That's in Romans 11. And notice also the next couple of verses here in Hebrews where he says, For the earth which drinks in the rain and so on and bears herbs, useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. So you've got good soil and it's bearing good fruit. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, uh, whose end is to be burned. So the ground is cultivated and planted and rained upon and it can bear good fruit and be blessed by God. But if that ground changes and becomes um, bad and it is bearing thorns and briars, it is near to being cursed. It doesn't say that it is cursed. It does say that its end, if it stays that way, will be destruction. It will be destroyed if nothing changes. Uh, make, it would appear that it's not over the line. Anyway, I wanted to leave that thought that uh, about this awful warning. But the writer clearly wants us to be impressed by what an awful state and an awful dangerous spot this is. So we go on. In the ninth verse, But beloved, we are confident of better things about you. We're confident of better things concerning you. We're confident that you are saved. The things that accompany salvation, though we give this terrible warning, we're confident that you're not there. We, we believe that you are Christians. But he wanted them to hear this warning. And he wants us to hear this warning this morning. Uh, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love that you have shown for his name. The writer sees that they are fruitful and uh, he says God sees that you are fruitful and this is the fruit of a, of a, of a Christian. Uh, genuinely saved people living a Christian life, loving Jesus, loving others, serving others, and uh, God sees that, and He will bless that. He will not forget that. He notices that. Like in Romans, He says, I am confident concerning you, my brethren, that's in chapter 15, verse 14, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So they're diligent in good works. And God has noticed that. The writer has noticed that. 
And he says they have the right motive in their good works. Uh, they are done in Christ's name. They're not earning their salvation. That is not what's happening here. It is the fruit produced in saved people in, in their lives. And that's all well and wonderful to be diligent in these things. That's a good sign. I, I'm encouraged to see that. But our writer's strong and earnest desire is that they show the same kind of diligence in tending to the needs of their souls as they have for serving others. To do diligently the things that that uh, are necessary on their part, on our part, for nurturing spiritual growth. For their salvation, the hope to come to uh, full assurance uh, until the end, until Jesus actually comes and takes them to himself, like where Paul wrote in Philippians, uh, encouraging the Philippians to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And again, not by, uh, by earning their salvation in any way by their works. But there is a part that we need to play in uh, cooperating with God and being where uh, He can work in our hearts with a commitment toward Him, a surrender toward Him, uh, in a place where He can work. The apostate one is at a place where God can't work uh, the work He would like to in His heart of deliverance and salvation. God is certainly faithful to do His part to supply what we need and to keep us safe when we need to do ours. So, now we're back at uh, verse 12 again, and He says that you do not become sluggish. He wants us to be as diligent with the things that are needful uh, for our spiritual health and well-being that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience endurance inherit the promises. So again, uh, the possibility of becoming sluggish, losing ground, uh, no longer diligent, lost fervor, lost enthusiasm, lost interest, lost energy, lost power, and not developing, not growing, not making progress. So how does this sluggishness happen? Well, we'll touch on two things here uh, briefly. One is the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, in Hebrews 3, verse 13, he encouraged Christians to exhort one another daily while it's called today, let any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin that affects us. If sin is allowed, if sin is indulged, if we compromise with holiness, it affects us. It will weaken us 
but the sinfulness of riches and the easy life. When Jesus was interpreting the uh, parable of the sower and the soil, he said that there was seed sown among the thorns, and they are those who hear the word, but this is what happens to them. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. So there's a conflict, and it becomes unfruitful. So the word is choked, it limits and hinders the benefit and the nutrition and the flow of life from the word of life, uh, and, and hinders that nourishment that should be flowing into our hearts, and stunts our growth, and stunts our fruitfulness, and we can become unfruitful. So that's uh, another thing that can happen, just the riches, the easy life. Uh, there's a deceitfulness that comes when everything just keeps going the way it's always gone, and and there aren't great troubles to the ordinary things, but we can get sleepy and less alert and less guarded for our soul. In Second Peter, uh, Peter wrote in the third chapter that scoffers will come in the last days saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers, since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They just things are just kind of going along and not too badly, and I'm managing, and uh, actually I'm not doing too bad. And so uh, we can get low to uh, uh, being less alert and becoming a little sluggish, and increasingly sluggish maybe as we neglect the important things. In the last um, even a couple of years, and China has always, since uh, the communists have always been opposed to Christianity, and there were times of terrible persecution. But in the last uh, number of years, it had let up and uh, wasn't as severe. But uh, in the last couple of years, three, there's been an uptick, and there's. Uh, Increasing persecution of the Christians in China. There's a Dr. Wei. I get a, a newsletter from him occasionally. He visited us at Christian Light one time, and uh, he is actually headquartered in Japan, but he travels to China a lot, and especially working with uh, Christian schools there and uh, trying to help them. But he says that there, there is increasing persecution. And Martha was just reading the other day about this, and a Christian said, a Chinese Christian, we were getting too comfortable. We were starting to get comfortable. So that's something else that can happen. So uh, that's a few things, there, are, there would be more. But why is this a concern? 
to our to our writer of Hebrews. Well, this is why that what makes us sluggish can take us down. Paul had friends that cooled off and left him. They chose to go in other directions. And in this passage, I believe that he especially emphasized that awful warning beginning in verse 4 through 6. Because sluggishness is a waypoint on the way down to that apostasy. Anybody who went from being a fervent Christian to that point where he is an enemy of Christ and Christianity went through that stage of sluggishness. He might have stayed there for a long time. Uh, or maybe not so long. But uh, he was there. He drifted through that that uh, stage of sluggishness. And he's concerned about that because when Christians are sluggish, it weakens his resistance to temptation, his resistance to defeat. We mentioned several deceitful things. Uh, they're more easily, we're more easily deceived in that category. It weakens his testimony to the lost. He's less encouraging to other Christians. If he is only a spark, if his Christian testimony is only a spark and not a torch for Christ, there's a, a limit, there's a hindrance to his testimony. If his victories, if his victories are few and his failures are many, then his sluggishness. That's not a bright testimony of a life. And it leaves him unprepared for difficult times that come in life or for persecution. If persecution would come. There are people, many, many, many millions and millions of people in the world with no spiritual resources at all. Uh, this past week, uh, Martha and I heard a recording from China of uh, from a northern city where the uh, COVID virus uh, came back and was uh, was uh, spreading rapidly, and they locked down the city. And when they say locked down, they Met locked down, and they had been shut down for about 40 days. And they would uh, be locked down, police or whatever they call the officials that were watching for this. They would go around and uh, in high rises where people live and so on and take the door shut so that they could tell if they had opened the door and broke the seal, as it were. And if people were caught outside, they made them stand in the sun uh, for hours on end, most of the day, giving them to or uh, shackled them to 
posts of fences and stuff for punishment. And these people were despairing. They told them, if you ate two meals a day, just eat one. If you ate three, just eat two. Cut back on eating and so there's less demand and whatever. But they were despairing. These people were despairing. And the recording was of people in high-rises that were facing each other. The people would, uh, would uh, wail out the windows. The windows were open, and there was wailing and crying and screaming. And they could hear each other, and it was recorded. And you could hear the... Uh, the person who was recording it was sobbing himself, but just despair and expressing their their frustration and deep discouragement. No resources. But the people that are sluggish avail themselves to have weak resources. They are not availing themselves of the great resources of God. Low resources. In that second parable from Mark 4, where Jesus was describing what this parable meant, he talked about people with low spiritual resources. The stony ground, they hear the word gladly, but it doesn't take root. The soil is shallow, and there's little endurance, little resources. And when tribulation, hard times, or persecution comes, there's not enough. And they stumble, they fall, they fail. But then God would have us um, be fortified and prepared and availing ourselves of strong resources when trouble or persecution comes. In this past week or past couple weeks, I read um, uh, The Insanity of God. I had read it some minutes years ago and, and picked it up again and read through it. And uh, he tells him there about Dmitri, a Russian man, who was put in prison for starting a church. And he didn't think he had started a church. He wasn't even a preacher. And the closest church to where he lived with his family was, I don't know, I think a couple hours away, a long ways off, so that they hardly ever got there. But he just started reading his Bible to his family, gathered his children around and read to them from the Bible and singing songs that he had learned when he was younger and, and went to church. And neighbors could hear him there in the village, and some neighbors started coming to the windows, and pretty soon they were inside and joining them. And then a crowd, it became a crowd, and that's when the police stepped in and told him to quit. And he can't have a church, and he said, this isn't a church, this isn't a church. I'm just reading the Bible and telling Bible stories and singing songs, and he didn't stop. And so they arrested him and put him in prison, where he stayed for 17 years. But there were 
there were two things that he did every day in prison. One, at daybreak, he would stand at attention beside his top, facing the east, kind of like Daniel. But he was facing the east and would raise his hands to heaven and sing a song from his heart. A song of praise to God and his Savior Jesus. And other prisoners would laugh and jeer and make rackets bang their tin cups against the bars. And they'd throw food and even excrement at him, trying to make him shut up. But every morning, he'd stand there by his bed at daybreak and sing a song of praise. And the other thing that he did was, whenever he found a scrap of paper, maybe out in the courtyard or wherever, he would sneak it back to his cell uh, where he also uh, kept a pencil of charcoal or something that he would find pieces of. And he would write on the paper verses that he remembered, songs that he remembered, a Bible story. There was room enough to write them out. And then he would stick that paper on a pillar that was a damp pillar. It was always uh, dripping water and it was damp and it was thick there. And it was like an offering uh, to God uh, to put it there and where it showed up. And it would make the guards angry and they would beat him and try to make him quit. And he wouldn't do it. He would always, if he found paper, he would write down verses and songs and put it up there on, the, on that pillar. And his spiritual life was strong. And he had hope. There was a spell where he struggled. But God, God brought him out of that and, and just blessed him. And he was strong for Christ. Uh, in, in this book, the author tells about interviewing, and this was a Russian, Dmitry was a Russian, but uh, Nick Rick, Ripken, the author, also went to China and was interviewing persecuted Christians there. And one thing that um, many of them had very glowing testimonies of what happened to them in prison and how they grew in prison and came out of prison stronger than they had been before. But not everyone. And one thing that he learned from the Chinese, they said that you can only grow in persecution what you go into persecution with. You can only grow in persecution what you go into persecution with. So in Acts 4, the Jews were impressed with Jesus' disciples and their boldness and how well they expressed their testimony and shared them with others and with the, uh, the Jews. And they took note that the disciples 
had been with Jesus. They were prepared for persecution. They were prepared for difficult times. They didn't cringe. They prayed for boldness. Daniel, from his youth, Gabriel told us the story of Daniel the lion's den. Was that this last Sunday? Last Sunday? In a children's class. And he said how Daniel, and I, I noticed when he said it, that Daniel from his youth, from when he was a, a little boy with the idea, prayed three times a day. So when Daniel was taken captive to Babylon, he didn't start praying the day he was captured. And as he was stumbling behind the guards or whoever, however they did that, uh, to get to Babylon. And when the king gave his orders to uh, eat this food that he wasn't supposed to eat, he didn't just start praying there. He was already a young man of prayer. And he was prepared for hard times and for persecution. Paul and Silas were prepared when they were beaten and jailed in Philippi. They could sing in the prison. Grace didn't come dumping down on them when they were arrested. They were singing long before. They sang. They prayed. They worshipped God. We here in America have uh, had a pretty easy life, we would all agree. And it's good for us to read uh, stories of Christians in other lands and other settings and other eras of history who have been persecuted, the uh, martyrs' mirror, uh, their books of stories of these testimonies. But we have been spared a lot. And I think the, uh, the snare of sluggishness can affect us. That no doubt has. I'm sure it has affected me. And it's, an, it's a challenge to read these testimonies and read the stories in the Bible. But I believe, uh, people, that trouble is looming for us. And I'm not a prophet. I don't know how, what's ahead, how soon. Or whatever, and Joe alluded to it in his in his opening, which I appreciate. Uh, but we can read the news, and those of us who are older can think back, like Joe was, and thinking back to uh, you know what we remember growing up and whatever. But we can see that things in the world are getting worse. It looks like they're getting worse. And then when you read in the Bible, read the prophecies in the Bible, you read Revelation, read Matthew, and um, Thessalonians, and you read the prophecies uh, talking about terrible times coming, and that it is time for the, it refers to the patience of the saints, the endurance of the saints. Things will be getting worse before Christ comes to take his children to heaven. 
Now, for men in the world, uh, they're experiencing those bad, experiencing bad things already, worse and something. But are we prepared? Bad things can happen quickly. COVID was a good lesson for us. For all the unhappiness and these terrible masks, for all those things, COVID was a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder. Bad things can happen suddenly and really change. And bad things can creep up on us. Are we prepared? How do we become more diligent and less sluggish? Well, we can take this passage to heart. We can recognize that it can be a problem. And uh, just to make us more alert and careful that we avoid the snare of sluggishness. And we commit ourselves to be disciplined and, and uh, diligent and not be lazy, not just toast. I think we can go back to what he talked about in the in the uh, in the warning there in verse four and five of this chapter, where he refers to those who were enlightened. Uh, to avoid sluggishness, we need to be enlightened and stay enlightened, walking in the light of God's truth and tasting the heavenly gift, living with Jesus our Savior, and walking with Him, living in the Spirit, tasting the good Word of God, feeding on the Word of God, and experiencing the power of God in our life. This uh, an intentional Christian life, putting ourselves in the place and in the attitude that God can touch and work on in our hearts what He wants to do. Every day, like Daniel, prayer and worship and obedience, repentance, like Paul, every day, like Dimitri, every day, prayer and worship and obedience and confession and repentance. So, um, our writer of Hebrews says, let's go on to perfection, he said in the first Verse. Let's go on to maturity. That's the best protection against sluggishness. Going on to maturity and completeness. These people who are diligent, not sluggish, that are aware, are alert of the danger of sluggishness and uh, and are diligent in the things of God, these are the people who by faith, who live by faith, who pray in faith, these are the people living for God who are changing the world where they are. Their hearts are changing, their families are affected, their churches are affected, and bless their communities are affected. The world is being changed. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence 
to the full assurance of hope until the end, that they do not become sluggish. May God help us. May God bless us.